This is the Command Your Brand podcast, where we talk to world changers, visionaries, and founders, people that are doing big things and changing this planet in a positive way. We're learning their stories, techniques, and exactly what you need to know so that you can do things in a big way. The time is now. Get ready to take command of your brand. up everybody jeremy here and guys i'm very excited for today's interview as we have todd duncan with us today he's a new york times best-selling author of 17 books he's a real estate and sales expert and we're going to dive into mastering sales mastering your business and i'm really excited to get a chance to chat with todd today todd thanks for hanging out with me man hey man i can't wait it's great to hang out with you jeremy and excited about whatever we're going to talk about and making a difference well, I want to find out first and foremost, Todd, because you know all the achievements under your belt—a New York Times bestseller, seventeen books—but like, how did it all start for you, man? Like, how did you get into this sales world? Because I feel like for a lot of people, right, that's not something you go to school and you know, like, I think I want to go into sales, but it's one of the most rewarding professions in the world if you go for it. Well, if you go for it and do it right, right. right. And <laughs> yeah. so I don't think anybody, you know, at some point tells their parents, like at age seven or eight, you know what? I want to be a professional salesperson. You know, that just doesn't happen. Firefighter, policeman, you know, I want to go in the, the army or something like that. We kind of fall into it. And so I got a degree in, in my first couple of years in it, by the way. My dad kept asking, like, is everything okay? Like, are you making money? Yeah, dad, we're actually doing pretty well. Don't worry about it. <laughs> <laughs> I learned my first sales lesson when I was in Little League and I had to sell candy and I wanted to sell more candy than anybody. So I hired my my two younger brothers, and we set up tables in the middle of the street, residential street, so the cars had to slow down on their way in. We sold more candy in a day than anybody else sold in a month, and I figured I should go into selling. The funny story, Jeremy, is I was in pre-med because my dad was a doctor, and I had a 1.4 GPA in college at Colorado. And my dad called me one day, and he says, your GPA is horrible. You probably are in the wrong curriculum. You come home for Christmas. Let's talk about your future. And I went home, and my dad and I were in the driveway, and he said, you know what? You don't have to be a doctor just because I am. You're probably not going to be a good doctor anyway. You're really good at business. So why don't you just get a business degree and build a business? And I said, okay. Top two business schools in California were SC and Stanford. And my dad said, I'm not paying for those, but Cal State Fullerton was the third. And so I went to school, graduated on the dean's list, got a degree in finance and marketing and business. And here we are. <laughs> so for you then, you know, you've really in the sales world become, you know, one of the masters when it comes to that. But you have a concept called high trust selling. And I guess how is that different and how does that make someone a better salesperson? You know, I think that as we get into selling and as we understand that selling is not really selling, it's solving and it's helping, we start to understand that there's human beings involved, that there's humanity involved. And we set out in selling to maybe sell product and meet quota and, and do these kinds of things. And it doesn't diminish the value of the product or your excitement about what your service is. But really, at the end of the day, people buy because it changes their emotional outcomes. And in high trust selling, you know, the obvious is no trust is not good and high trust is really good. And if we want to have more wins, if we want to have more people say yes, if we want to convert at a higher level, level, we got to slow down the conversation to deepen the relationship. And when you do that, you end up creating clients for life. And I just learned early on, I was in real estate, got my broker's license, got into lending. And I learned early on that this is not about me. This is not about anything I have to sell or offer. It's about meeting somebody where they're at, 
finding out what the emotional needs are that they have, showing them how I can give them what they're looking for at the highest level of human trust possible. And you know, when you do that and you have emotional connection, conversion goes up, sales go up, margins go up, repeat business goes up, referral go up. And I had a guy early on, and this is profound for your audience to hear. He said, you need to make a decision and it'll be the decision that drives your entire sales career. And I said, what's the decision? He said, you need to choose between transactions and relationships. And I said, so what's the difference? And he goes, transactions will make you a living. Relationships will make you a fortune. And Mm -hmm. I decided right then and there, man, if I have a client one year, I want that client for 30 years. And I just did everything I could for my entire sales career. Even our company today, we're in, I don't know, 30 countries. And I call people all the time in different countries on their birthday. I send video messages. I met one guy in 1996, who is the richest guy in Australia today. And we're best friends because I met him where he was in 96. I helped him create a business. And here he is today, super wealthy and super achieved and accomplished. And so high trust is high trust, man. Low trust is no trust. And the lower the trust, the more no, the more objection, the more resistance. It's just not fun. It's Sales should be fun. Helping people win should be fun. Well, one of the things you said in there was about like really making sure you do what's right by the person you're trying to help. And one of my first sales jobs was I sold life insurance and I made some decent money, but I hated having those conversations every day. So being like, so you're going to die and you should buy this. So like, you know, it just kind of mentally made me a little bit sad. But one of the things that I noticed in the office I worked in is the commission structure when you looked at whole life versus term was very different, right? As a salesperson, you'd made a ton of money selling whole life, but for most people, unless they were using it as an investment vehicle, term was what matters to them. So I guess when you're looking at it as a salesperson, how do you do a better job with putting the needs of the person you're selling in front of your own? Because it will be more rewarding if you can, but how do you do a better job with that? So the first thing I did is I started realizing that, you know, the key goal is to get the first sale from a relationship. And then if I have that, then I can begin to build loyalty. And more importantly, Jeremy, I can begin to activate that person as a center of influence for me. And, you know, the beautiful thing about high trust is that if you have clients that are happy and thrilled with the everything from the discovery with you to the conversation with you to just how they felt about you and even the sense of attraction to what you were offering and how you're offering it then they would go out of their way to help you find more and more and more people. And you know, in insurance that referrals are powerful, right? And Mm -hmm. so I remember early on that I had four or five guys that wanted to do a real estate transaction a certain way. And I said, that's a good way, but I don't think it's the best way. Let me ask you a question. Is it really going to be about the maximum price or is it going to really be about your long-term returns on what you do with that money? And, you know, it's an interesting conversation because if you ask questions that most people don't ask, you can learn things that most people don't learn. And then you can solve things that most people don't even know exist as a solution. And so when you do that and you do the right thing, I have a governing philosophy, and this is worth just putting on a stone and keeping it forever. If you take care of the people, the profits take care of themselves. If you put profits before people, you will always lose. If you put people before profits, you'll always win. So I was interested in making money. Make no mistake about that. I was interested in making a lot of money and money didn't drive me. What drove me was how many lives I could impact. And if I focus on those relationships, then I can make a fortune. We have 6 million clients around the globe and I don't have to worry ever about making money. All I have to do is impact people and then it works. And so I think it's really, 
taking the spotlight off you. It's asking questions that are really advice-centric questions. And even though whole life pays you a better premium outflow over the years, term might be the best thing short-term, you know? And yeah. you just gotta, you gotta give the client what they want. And if you do that, if it's the right thing, if you know professionally it's the wrong thing, then you have to be bold enough to say, I don't think that's the right idea. That's a great point because you have to be okay with upsetting somebody sometimes if you know it's the right thing for them. And that could be really hard to do. Well, and it's not even really upsetting them. You've got to be bold enough, courageous enough, and curious enough to gently suggest alternative options, you know, and I'll do whatever you want, but you just need to know as your life insurance professional that this is why I recommend this. And this is why I don't recommend that. You make the final decision. I'm good either way. That's a great negotiating strip line. You just take it out of the conversation, present the options. I'm good either way, but you want to do the right thing. And that's, it comes down to that. And it's just like so many people are about getting the money and closing the deal and they forget about the bigger picture. I, I love think. That. No, I love that because it's for a lot of entrepreneurs, the thing you have to learn how to do is you have to be able to look six months from now, as well as building your business right now. And I think so many people are thinking about what they need right now, rather than putting a future there, you make some really bad decisions where if you're talking about, if you can think about building that relationship, you know, one leads to another, leads to another, leads to another, and that's how you build a book of business. So it really is about a viewpoint. And Todd, you know, in terms of like looking at your book, one of the things that you've talked a lot about in it, is the laws that govern the sales profession. And I guess I'm interested to find out for the salespeople out there, you know, what have you found are those laws that govern the sales profession? Well, so Hydra selling, you know, celebrating its 20th year since publication, it's still selling. It was New York Times bestseller. And the 14 laws that went into Hydra selling are laws that are timeless. They never, ever change. And so the book is broken into kind of a life mastery process, why you're in selling in the first place and what really drives you, what's your why, what's your passion and purpose, and how do you organize around that? And within that is how do you really understand failure, failure being a very, very good thing. It's kind of, we call it the law of the summit, that your direction is a result of your perception. Now, a lot of people are afraid of failure and you know success can only be built on failure so we do that first and then we get into business marketing and business planning and really showing people how to whatever your business is awaken every day and know this is how you have to attack and this is what the plan looks like and then we get into four specific laws on influence you know one is the law of the bullseye which is if you don't do business with the right prospect you'll do business with any prospect and so it's really about targeting and deciding what you want and realizing that there's enough relationships, enough businesses for you to have joy and to have relationship with people. And once we understand that, then we get into the law of the scale and the law of the scale, which is, it sounds initially to a lot of people like a foreign language, the law of the scale says, make more money with fewer clients. So if on a scale, I can add more value with fewer clients then I can tip those scales much more quickly by that kind of value add, that consistent value add. And then right after that is the law of courtship, which says, you know, for a relationship to be right on the outside, it has to be right on the inside. I can't do business with people that are fundamentally different for me. If I believe in integrity and somebody believes in fraud, we're not going to be able to get it to get together and do business long-term. Yeah. And then the law of the hook says a captivated audience stays to the end. And so this is all about client retention. And how do you know, based on what you've learned that people are looking for, to add a stream of value and to continue to stay in touch and to bring value to people and to recognize events. And you know, I've got 3,300 people right now every year that I send a happy birthday video message to from my phone anywhere in the world. I'm in touch. If you're not in touch, you're out of touch. And then we talk about the law of 
incubation, which is the most profitable relationships mature over time. And a lot of salespeople give up way too soon on the relationships that matter most. Mm-hmm. And I used to work with banks and real estate agents, and I would market to you and add value to you for two years without you doing business with me before I'd rethink, do I still want to do business with you? Most people give up after the second or third call. And then we go to the law of the encore, which is the whole idea of the better your performance, the louder the applause. And that's what we're in business to do. We're in business to, at the end of a transaction, have people go, wow, that was brilliant. I cannot wait to place another order. I cannot wait to do this again. I cannot wait to refer more business to you. It's just this beautiful. So the laws, half the book, is on sales influence and client retention. And then the first half of the book is actually on setting the foundations up, getting your head around time productivity, hourly rate, revenue per you know ROI on hour in, hour out, business planning, modification, objection management, that kind of stuff. I'm proud of the book, man. It sold a lot of copies and lives are changed. And it's, you know, everybody, doctors, insurance, financial planners, real estate, builders, developers, wealth management. It's fun. I'm proud of it. Well, Todd, I feel like those are some of the most important skills to learn. But if you look at a lot of what we learn in school, like we don't learn those things. And I guess when you're looking at it, like why are those things that are really vital to success and failure in life? Why don't we get those? Maybe it's the culture we grow up in. You know, I know that I got a book from my grandmother when I was 16 and the book was entitled Success Through a Positive Mental Attitude. I got influenced really early on that success is a choice, attitude's a choice, bad things happen, breakdowns occur. If you have the right attitude, you can learn from anything. And selling is a business where you have got to be prepared to hear the word no, but not continue to hear no because you're not changing. What no means is I don't see enough value yet. What no means is I don't trust you yet. doesn't mean I distrust you. It's just I don't know you and I don't trust you. And a lot of people hang out in yesterday. They hang out in that last call not going right. You know, I ask people all the time. How many of you have ever experienced call reluctance and everybody's hand goes up and I go, Mm -hmm. why are you reluctant to make a call? And it always has to do with the last call or the last month or even their year so far in selling that I'm just not converting. I don't feel comfortable. I get, I kind of give my power away to an event that hasn't occurred yet. So I tell people, I say, what would happen if you move from call reluctance to call excitement? I mean, what if you were so prepared so trained? What if you knew you had a referral in? What if you knew they were going to trust you because of the way you set up the introduction in the meeting? Would you fear failure? And you wouldn't. And so I think it, you know, it gets down to, you even look at some of these great historical role models like Napoleon Hill and Andrew Carnegie and, you know, and Thomas Edison. And, you know, when Edison lost his entire factory and somebody asked him, what's the good news about your factory burning to the ground? He said, all my mistakes were burnt with it. And that was a positive attitude to losing his entire factory. And 90 days later, he invented the phonograph. You know, we wouldn't have Spotify or Apple if we didn't have Edison inventing the phonograph in the 1940s. And then once you get your head around that, it's like, okay, what did I learn from this? I was talking to my wife the other night, and we were talking about when does a mistake become a lesson? And I looked at her and I said, a mistake becomes a lesson when the mistake is no longer made. So people need to be smart because if I don't change, I say to people, if you don't do something differently, you'll be then tomorrow, next week, where you are now, only a week later or a month later or a year later. So, you know, success is a, it's an interesting deal. It's a half full, half empty 
kind of deal, right? And if you see things positively, you know, Martin Seligman talks about learned optimism. And he says, you know, if you see the glasses half full, you'll sell 42% more product and services than if you see the glasses half empty. And that's the same level of water. It's perception. So that's the muscle and the skill people need to learn about failure. Failure is actually a good thing. The wrong way is the right way because it teaches you a better way. It's amazing too, because in the wider society, we're taught how bad it is, right? But failure is those learning experiences. And I think like you're saying, you know, you have to think about it as an opportunity. I can think of the number of times that, you know, I failed at things. You know, I started this podcast five years ago. My first one was atrocious. And I looked at that and I said, you know, what did I do wrong? Well, I didn't treat it like a professional. I wasn't well prepared. I wasn't shooting for big guests and things like that. And that's what it comes down to, man, is you look at those opportunities to do better. And I think that's a real gift when you can look at it that way. Steve Jobs said in his first couple of years in Apple, he said, you know, if, if you're not afraid to crash and burn, you're not going to be successful at anything. And I thought that was really, really great advice. And nobody wakes up, Jeremy, and says, I can't wait to fail. Mm -hmm. But I wake up and I ask, what lessons am I going to learn today that are going to make me better tomorrow? And I look for them. I'm curious. Curious, George. Curiosity is one of the great gifts that people can have because if you tinker long enough with something and you make intentional changes, you're going to master it. I remember when I was learning to fly private airplanes, I was horrible at landing. But if you're going to be a pilot, you got to land. I could take off. I could fly around. I could do all that kind of stuff. But landing was just hard for me. And I came home one day and I looked like I had seen a ghost. And my wife said, what happened? I said, I had a really bad landing today. For the first time, I got scared. Wow. And she said, well, that's good news, right? Because you learned how not to do it. And I said, yep. You know, the wife of a motivational speaker. And sure enough, <laughs> man, I went back in the airplane the next day. And a couple of weeks later, I'd made close to 60 landings. And my CFI said, you're good to go, man. You know how to land. But if I'd given up, I would have never been able to fly a plane and be a pilot. So it's just, it's healthy. John Maxwell says, fail forward. Don't fail backwards. Fail forward. It's a good idea. <laughs> well, Todd, it's 2022. It's a new year. You know, there's a lot to be excited about this year. What are you most excited for happening this year, man? I'm excited about the book, you know, reaching a 20-year milestone. I'm excited about the fact that we've got a legacy in play right now that lives get changed. You know, I wake up every day and I look at my social media and I just, I look for the people that, you know, their lives got changed. I got, I don't know, 73 stories that were shared this morning with something I did yesterday for an hour. And, you know, I wake up and I'm excited about that. I'm excited about this stage of our life. I've been doing this for a quarter of a century. I love changing lives. And I think that we're coming into our own now. And with some of the new developments, we made some really big pivots during COVID that were pretty hairy, but I didn't blink, you know, and we made a pivot to digital. It doesn't mean we're not going to be a live event company, but we went from a couple thousand people at a live event to 44,000 people at that same event digitally. Wow. We made that move in six months. And so we're going to do more digital this year. We're going to be more intentional about digital content and distribution. I started a coaching company four years ago, and our milestone is to get to our first thousand students and we're cranking on that thing. And coaching is a miracle for people that want to be their best. And when you have people that have a heart to help you win and bold enough to tell you where you're not doing it right, it's the most exciting thing ever. And I'm pumped up that we now have an outlet for people that experience the book, maybe experience a workshop or some of our YouTube stuff that they now have an outlet, make that stuff in play, you know, implement that stuff and get those things going. And I love watching video from clients whose lives are changed. And so I just look forward to that. We're, we've got a good team. We've got a strong team. We're all over the world and grateful for that. What are you looking forward to? 
Oh man, I'm looking forward to the, it's almost February, man. So I'm looking forward to my Packers hopefully getting to the Super Bowl, but maybe that's the <laughs> wrong answer here, man. <laughs> you know what? It's just a, that's a first quarter priority. That might be a first. It's a first uh, quarter priority, man. <laughs> <laughs> They're good. You know, I'm joyful around hopefully progress that we're all making as a country in the world. It's been hard for a lot of people. And yeah. I, I don't, you know, it was hard for us. You know, we lost loved ones. My son's fiance lost both her parents, you know, within six months to COVID. And there's a lot of pain, but there's a lot of hope. And, you know, I try to help people become hopeful instead of hopeless. Mm-hmm. And I try to get people to think instead of impossible that I'm possible. And so I just want to see people just gravitate to owning their future. You know, we can become anything we want to become. We can do anything we want to do, but it doesn't happen overnight. And the bigger the dream, the harder it is. And yeah, you want to talk about failure, ask Elon Musk how many failures there were before he could finally get a rocket to land back on the earth. And that'll tell you, if the guys that are billionaires love failure, then anybody else should love failure because it's a good modeling characteristic. Absolutely. Well, Todd, I've really enjoyed our conversation today, man. For people watching, if they want to connect with you, if they want to grab more of your materials, where's going to be the best place for our listeners to go today? Yeah. So I think one of the things is if they would like a gift, I have a 20-page white paper out that's called Talk Less, Sell More. All they have to do is go to toddduncan.com forward slash and then talk hyphen less hyphen sell hyphen more hyphen and they can download that. Otherwise, toddduncan.com. My social media handles are Todd Duncan Official. Very cool. Well, Todd Duncan, thank you so much for hanging out with me today, man. All right, Jeremy. Good to see you, man. Good luck. Happy New Year.